from Mark chapter 4. I'll give you a moment to find it. If uh, you have a Bible, open it up. It's probably about the two-thirds mark. You'll probably find yourself in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Search around in those. Mark's the second one of those. Um, hopefully that can help you orient yourself. If you've got an iPad like me, just type it in the search bar. You'll be fine. It's also up on the screen. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, "'Teacher, don't you care if we all drown?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, "'Quiet, be still!' Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm." He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and for you. And I think to myself, your turn now. Oh, so good. These are, of course, the words of Louis Armstrong in that now world-famous song, What a Wonderful World. And he's right, isn't he? What a wonderful world it is with so much for us to be thankful for. And so why is it that so often when that song is played these days, The montage of pictures that accompany it in the background are so full of drama and disaster. Have you noticed this? Yeah, there's pretty pictures, but there's also images of riots, devastation, suffering, war and countless natural disasters. Fill the screen as Louis sings magnificently on over the top. I guess the modern presenter is reminding us that while some things are wonderful, and indeed they are, many, many things still are not. And it's the things that are not which so often dominate the everyday reality of people the world over. Because for all its beauty and wonder, our world is also, as we now know, infected with disease, impacted by natural disasters, enslaved by confusion and fear, infested with demons, entranced with fake news and inescapably bound to death. Sure, we can sing, it's wonderful and be all positive and motivational, but it doesn't change the fact that no one escapes the effects of our fallen world. No one. The physical effects, the mental effects, the relational, the emotional effects. All of us are touched, all of us are impacted. And it's out of this super difficulty that all kinds of people stand up and say, hey, this way, this is the right thing to do. This is how we make it through. This is what we should do to solve or at least to cope with this mess. And yet, even as they each stand up, they all prove to be a disappointing false hope again because none of them can climb above the things that affect us all. Every single one of us still dies. So what about Jesus? Does he offer anything better, any different kind of hope? Is he he any use to us in hardship? And what happens to those who follow him? As you and I endure a life 
now continuing under this cloud of a pandemic, these things are definitely worth thinking about because where should our hopes be pinned? And what of those we know around us who look to us? What would we tell them? And my plan over the next three weeks then, as we continue and complete this section of chapters 4 and 5 of Mark's Gospel, is to examine the Lordship of Jesus. Examine His Lordship as He encounters natural disaster, demons, disease and death in three unique settings as He crosses Lake Galilee three times here in Mark's Gospel. We've just had the first of those crossings read out for us. There's going to be two more that follow. We'll look at them in the following weeks. And Because with each crossing, he is going to encounter another one of our unique debilitating enemies. And he's going to speak life into each of these situations, speaking words of life where death is the normal outcome, words of life for those who have ears to hear. And so I invite you to watch along and see how it goes down. And let's pray and ask God to help us be those people who have such ears, who hear and are saved. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're the God who speaks. But please help us to be the people who listen, who do have ears to hear. And because we hear, we combine it with faith and get us saved. Would you assure us of your love? Would you assure us that Jesus Christ is indeed the Lord of life? Help us as we consider this now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 4.35, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, the boat in this scene is the same boat that Jesus has just spent the day teaching from as he spoke many parables to the gathered crowds, all recorded for us earlier in chapter 4 that we considered last week. The day began with so many people gathered, it was better for Jesus to be in a boat out on the lake so that people could hear him and not crush him. It had been an incredible scene of enormous numbers of people, an astonishing day of teaching that took everyone by surprise, including the disciples, because of what Jesus taught. And all of it had been punctuated with Jesus repeatedly saying, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And so I wonder, did the disciples have ears to hear? Did they hear? Well, that's what we soon find out. For as evening approached, Jesus set his sights on the other side of Lake Galilee and his disciples obliged to take him there. Now, a night journey on a lake, you know, not so bad these days with all kinds of navigational aids, but remember, we're talking the first century. Possibly a scary time. It might have been a nervous trip for the likes of Levi and others who were normally, you know, land-bound people. But the presence in the boat of four experienced fishermen in Peter, Andrew, James and John ensured there was nothing to be overly concerned about, especially because fishing usually occurred at night when the lake was calm. That was when the fishermen are used to being out. They do it for a reason, that time of day. And there's also a whole bunch of other boats that go along with them. So, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Nothing to worry about. Nothing, that is, until this storm arrived. 
Now, it's true to say that weather conditions on Lake Galilee can be swiftly changeable, especially during the day, and particularly during the day because, you know, the valleys heat up, the condensed water vapour rises, and the surrounding mountain air equalises to strong currents and violent storms, kind of like what we experience here in the Illawarra from time to time with the water right there and escarpment there and a plateau up there and all kinds of equalisation. You know what it's like when we get those really nasty winds? Chops up the water. Yeah, we've seen this. We know what it's like. In light of this, the boats were sturdy and the fishermen were seasoned. But this storm was next level. This was something else. A furious squall at night is very odd at that time and in that place. And with waves breaking over the boats so that it begins to swamp, this is very unusual. This is a chaotic kind of level that is not normally seen. And this is a bigger deal now also when we recognise that in the Bible, the sea is the ultimate spiritual image of chaos and danger. Biblically, chaos and danger reside in deep waters. Threat comes from deep waters. And therefore, they should always be feared by humans. Now, sure, we might skillfully endure the waters for a time. We can swim in them, surf and sail upon them for brief periods. Yet those sports, of course, are extreme sports and they have that extra measure of exhilaration purely because of the death-defying element that they are. And how close death can be when a mistake is made in chaotic waters. So we can enjoy deep waters and occasionally endure deep waters, but it's only for a time. And it's only God in creation who actually can and does bring order and life and peace out of such a place of chaos, disorder, disaster and death. Humans naturally and rightly fear dangerous water. So how is it then that Jesus can sleep peacefully without fear in a storm and a boat that's filling with water and is equally filled with panicking people. How does he do this? How does he sleep? That that is the unasked and unanswered question that we have here in this passage. Why didn't they ask Jesus why he wasn't concerned? Why didn't they ponder at his peace and ask him for some of it? Why didn't the disciples lay down beside on him on the cushion and take a nap also? Because clearly it's a very good idea. According to Jesus, there's nothing to worry about. Peaceful sleep is a great decision in a storm of boat swamping proportions, according to Jesus. But they don't ask him the obvious question and they don't imitate him resting peacefully either. And why not? Because they don't yet trust him. Their fear for their safety, their fear for their safety has overwhelmed their faith in Jesus. Does this ever happen to you as a Christian? Does fear and anxiety over your circumstances ever rob you of peace in Jesus? Do you ever have a sleepless night filled with anxiety and and days punctuated by panic attacks and nail-biting and episodes of irritable bowel? Anyone? 
Maybe you don't want to admit that. Do you ever feel that rest in Jesus is impossibly distant because life is entirely out of your control? Does it ever feel like Jesus is no help at all? You know, there he is in heaven at God's right hand, totally free of danger, and here are you and I fearing for our very existence. Does that ever bother you? bothers me. And this is precisely how the disciples felt in the boat on that night also. And so, of course, they didn't ask him the obvious question. Of course, they didn't lie down on the cushion and imitate him. No, their fear had overwhelmed their faith. And all they could think was that Jesus simply did not care, that he just didn't care what happened to them. He's asleep, for goodness sake. We're drowning and he's asleep. So incredulous at his callous indifference to their suffering, they do what you and I so often want to do. They lay hands on Jesus, shake him awake and rage at him. Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? That's our question so often, isn't it? And does he care? Does he care for you and me in our disturbed anxiety? Well, it might look like he's doing nothing at rest, but, but yes, he does. See, Jesus was sleeping peacefully in the storm because Jesus was different. The storm could not overwhelm and destroy him, and, and nor could it overwhelm and destroy those who are with him. Impossible. Because Jesus still had what all other humans lost at the fall. Remember how how God made humans in his image with authority over nature to fill and subdue the earth? Subdue it? Remember how that authority was lost for all humans when our forebears, Adam and Eve, rejected God's lordship over them and all who come from them? Well, yeah, that's us. That includes us also. But Jesus is different. Born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he did not inherit our fallen human nature. And so, fully made in the unblemished image of God, the man Jesus does what no other human can do. Not then or today. Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet. Be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. Astonishing. I can barely hear my voice in the wind, much less the wind hear me. Jesus, he's he's the Lord of this. He's the Lord of life. He's he's Lord clearly over nature, Lord even over the, the wind and the waves. I mean, you know, we could possibly get a dog to answer us and we can get some animals to, you know, respond to us. But the wind and the waves? Well, regardless, regardless of whether humans have ears to hear or not, when he speaks, nature hears his voice and without fail responds to its master instantly and completely. And so it's really no wonder that the the disciples now speak up and ask this question, who is this? Who is this? They they don't doubt that he's a man, they know he's a man, they don't doubt that, 
but he's a man who is, has got an identity that's somehow in tune with God. He's like the prophets of old. He can speak the elements and the elements will move at his command. At the very least, he's a prophet like Moses. Maybe he's more. Maybe they could speculate further and say that he's God-made flesh. They don't get there yet. But certainly, the Psalms have declared this kind of thing about God all along. Psalm 89, verse 9, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. That's, that's talking about God. And aren't the disciples witnesses of these things, just like those in Psalm 107? Again, talking precisely about this kind of event. So here it is. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up the tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Surely this whole episode here in Mark's gospel, Jesus and disciples, it's set up to show the disciples and all who hear about it that Jesus is Lord of life. And all who are with him are safe with him. And for the disciples, that, that evidence has now just been confirmed in their actual experience. Jesus is the Lord of life. They're with him. They are safe with him. And that should be good news, but it's certainly not how they reacted, was it? Check it out. There's nothing here about them being glad when it grew calm. There's nothing of them giving thanks to him for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds. There's nothing of them exalting and praising him as they assembled together. There's nothing of them talking to him even, even asking him to explain what just happened. In fact, it seems that they are just now more terrified of Jesus than they ever were afraid of the storm. More terrified of him. That's precisely what Jesus immediately notices as he asks them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And he's spot on right, isn't he, in his analysis of them and what's going on in their heads and their hearts and their minds in this moment. For the fear that had overwhelmed their faith in Jesus before he had saved them, has now dialed up higher than ever before and it's now applied to him. And their fear of him is enormous. So rather than answering Jesus' question or asking him for a little bit of information to explain or even thanking him, rather than saying anything intelligent to Jesus at all, they draw away, they huddle together terrified and speak only to each other. Verse 41, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Why do they behave like this? Why is their reaction so totally opposite to what it should have been in the psalm and what we think it should be, even just to say thank you? We need to know this, don't we? We, we need to account for their reaction in that day, for theirs is the same kind of reaction that you and I sometimes have to Jesus. 
It's certainly the same reaction that we see around us all over the place. Have you noticed fear reactions to Jesus? Fear of Jesus in yourself? Fear of Jesus in others you know? It's a fear of what he might do in our lives, isn't it? Terror of how he might affect my comforts and control. It's hostility to Jesus in, in it's hostility against him because it's in defense of personal power. And that's why rejection of Jesus based on fear, it's, it's not a new thing at all. Yeah, it happens around us today, but it's there even amongst his disciples. So how do we account for it? We're greatly helped by Mark recording this episode directly after Jesus' many parables that came earlier that day. Because what we're now seeing is those parables play out in the people who were there, showing themselves in person after person as they interact with Jesus, because Jesus was the primary agent in each of the parables. Check him out again, you'll notice it. It's just like he said, Jesus is the lamp that exposes people and what they think of him. With the measure they use, he then measures himself out to them. He is the seed that is sown on the path, the rocks, the weedy and the good soil. And all of these things are on display in these three lake crossings that we have, the first one before us. And as first cab off the rank here, it's the disciples, well, they show themselves to be the rocky soil. Look back at verse 16. There it is. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. When trouble because of Jesus or persecution comes because of Jesus, they immediately pull back away from him in self-protective, self-control, self-everything. And not only does this happen in this moment in this calming of the storm, but it's going to happen again when a worse storm hits them. The storm of Jesus being arrested before their very eyes and the crucifixion comes their way and they will flee. They will flee that danger that comes from being too close to Jesus. And so it is the disciples show themselves here to be that rocky soil. For when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And trouble comes not because he saved them. Now, salvation's not the issue. The salvation bits they're fine with. The bits that they struggle with, the bits that they fear, it's the bits here that show him to be Lord. That's how they handled it. How do you go with it? How do you go with Jesus in this Saviour, Lord thing? That he's both Saviour and Lord. This is where the rubber really hits the road. Do you love the idea of having a personal Saviour, but get nervous at the thought of having a Lord? over you 
Are you suspicious of Jesus and any threat he might pose to your personal control? It's uncomfortable questions, aren't they? But they stare us in the face here. And it unmasks us, doesn't it? Because sure, we all love the idea of a saviour. Of course we do. Someone who saves us from the storms of life. Sign me up. Who wouldn't love that? A powerful God who will save us from disasters and dangers and who puts us back into control where we like to be. That's precisely what we want. And in fact, if he would get with the program and start saving us from the dangers before they arrive, we'd like him even more, wouldn't we? Everyone approves of a saviour because saviours use their power to return things to normal for us, to put us back into control where we like to be. We all love a saviour, but we all fear a Lord because lords are powerful. Lords are in charge. Lords can impose their controlling will over others, over us with we have no choice but to submit to them. Saviors are great, but lords are to be feared. And that's what's going on for the disciples here in the boat. That's what they fear. That's why they fear. And it's the same fear that people have everywhere of Jesus also. Is this true for you? Does your fear of him overwhelm your faith in him? Does your fear overwhelm your faith? Fear of a, of a powerful Lord who could take control and who, who could possibly impose his will, his control over your plans, programs, desires, ambitions, loves, hopes, dreams. It's an uncomfortable thought, isn't it? it, it it's... It's the same as why we all hate this COVID adventure so much, isn't it? I mean, some adventure. It's not much fun yet, is it? And we don't like it because, yes, we're all afraid to die. We fear that. But alongside that fear, whilst ever we keep on living, there's this anger about our loss of control that is rising, rising, isn't it? This loss of control over our time and our choices. Examine yourself. Check in on this. As you think about the problem of this pandemic and how it's been touching in on your life and circumstances, how often have you been upset simply because you've actually lost a measure of personal control over your choices? When you say those now famous words, I just want things to go back to normal, when you say that, how much of that statement is about you being back in control of your circumstances like you used to be. I, I know it's that for me. Because normal was me in charge. And have you noticed that when the government and health officials offer us a way out, we're very quick to accept the saviour bits that they offer there, but we get very angry at anything that sniffs about control over our choices and the freedoms we want to express. It, it's, it's right there, isn't it? Pity the doctors. Oh my goodness. We, we happily accept a saviour, but we swiftly reject a Lord. And when they come in the same person, what do we do? What do we do with this Jesus we find here in the Bible? Yes, he's powerful to save, but he's just simply too powerful for us to control. So what do we do with Jesus? 
Well, the basic choice we have is is to, to flee and fight him for control until we breathe our very last breath. We can sure choose that or we choose to submit to his lordship and learn how to rejoice in the peace that he supplies like those in Psalm 107. That's our basic choice. Flee and fight, fear and fight, or submit and rejoice. We know what the disciples chose on that night, don't we? The rocky soil disciples chose to fear, to flee, to fight. But fortunately for them, they couldn't escape the boat. They couldn't escape from Jesus. Oh, he was relentless. They they couldn't escape because Jesus had chosen them to love them, to be his people. Jesus wouldn't abandon them to their fear. He would not turn his back on them and reject them. Read on and we'll see Jesus relentlessly persevere with the fear of his disciples. And he'll hold them close and draw them close again and again and again. And most important of all, when he's risen from the dead, he'll seek them out specifically so that their fear of him can be overcome by faith in him as their Lord at last. And and as you watch this happen, as we see this play out, as you watch how Jesus treats them, please notice very carefully what it means for him to be the Lord of their lives and others The lordship of Jesus as Lord, he doesn't steal life from anyone. He doesn't control life or remove life. (laughs) Rather, what we see is that his lordship is life-giving and it's freedom supplying. His lordship results in people's lives being saved, in them being renewed, in their life being extended, extended eternally and, and transformed for good. That's what his lordship looks like when we stop to look, when we have ears to hear. Friends, I I urge you to examine again and to keep looking to discover. I'm so desperate for you to discover that Jesus Christ is the Lord of life. He's the Lord of life. Yes, he's Lord, but it means life for those he's Lord over. And we need to to know this and wrestle with this because like the disciples in the boat, we also cannot escape him. He's the Lord of the heavens and the earth. We can't get away, so we only have a choice. We've got to deal with him. We can fear and fight him until we die. Yes, that's a choice. Or we can submit and rejoice and receive the life that he gives. What would you choose? A choice has to be made because Jesus Christ is Lord. But a choice is necessary. So choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we've had a look and with ears to hear, we've seen that Jesus Christ is the Lord of life. So as for me and my house, our decision has been made. We will serve the Lord. What will your decision be? Amen.